Good morning. It is good to be together. Like, legitimately, as I watch people walk in, I'm like, wow, these are most of my friends. This is awesome. So I cannot wait to open the word with you and share a little bit about what Easter means to me. Thank you for joining us, and if you're visiting, welcome. If this is the first time you've been here in a little while, welcome. I hope that the people that participate here at Church of the Valley would make you feel welcome, and you'd be encouraged by what's going on. And just real quick, uh, the other day I was, I was talking with somebody uh, right after our Good Friday service, and like I've said for years at the end of the service, like, man, I love you guys, have a great week kind of thing, but like, it's not just I love you guys, like, I like you guys. This is a great church. Just so you guys know. So I'm going to start with that. My name is Tim Riley. I'm one of the pastors here who's not wearing a suit. I'm also an elder and a staff member. It is truly an honor to share this holiday with you. And I hope, again, that this church welcomes you and makes you feel at home. Today, we celebrate the most important holiday of the year for a Christian. And I'm sure, as you know, it's not because baseball just started. It's not because of the Easter Bunny. It's not even because spring break is coming up and the little kids said amen. But today we celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And for the Christian, today symbolizes the most important event in history where a Jewish carpenter's son who claimed to be God and had been placed on a Roman cross to die physically came out of a tomb three days later and he showed himself to hundreds upon hundreds of people verifying that he actually physically resurrected from the dead. In the past, I've taught seminars. I've taught many messages on much of the evidence of this supposed resurrection. And while I perhaps will speak of some of that today, I'd prefer to begin our time together for the next few minutes sharing who I was, who I am, and what kind of difference this supposed resurrection has made on me. 34 years ago, I was eight. You can do the math of how old I am. And when I was eight years old, my mother passed away from cancer. And I was left with a father who was 44 years my senior. My dad was what I called an antagonistic agnostic. He would argue, and then as soon as you shared something that was true that he couldn't argue with, he'd go, I don't care. That's literally what he would say. My mom was adopted into a Mormon family that she just rebelled against, and she never adopted their religion. My mother's death made me an angry, lost, wounded child, and I acted out constantly for attention and out of anger. When I got to high school, I had people who identified as Christians telling me how I ought to believe in God. And boy, was I then a brutal opponent of anything that these silly, superstitious teenagers had to say. Until my senior year, when I went to the prom with a friend, And then I ditched said friend and left with a different girl who I ended up dating for quite a while. And after dating, I found out that after dating her for a little while, I found out that this girl also was one of those silly, superstitious teenagers that identified as a Christian. And over time, that faith that she had began to get in the way of the fun that I wanted to have with her. And I didn't want to believe in some bearded dude up in the sky that smited people when they got out of line. So I began to research. I began to learn as much as I could about the silly religion that as far as I knew seemed based on those who I had come in contact with, which was a blind faith that seemed to just be handed down from parents in order to keep their kids morally suppressed. 
One day, while researching a few different religions, I had a conversation with a guy who identified with the silly faith known as Christianity, and he challenged me on the basis of what the Christian faith was. As far as I knew, it was to dress a certain way, be against certain types of people, attend a big-roofed building on Sundays, and talk uber-spiritually when asked how they were doing. I'm blessed by the blood of the Lamb, brother. That's the kind of stuff that we say. He was like, nah, Christianity is about Jesus, but not just about who he was, but who he is and what he has done. Christianity all rests on a single event, if it happened or not, he told me. Now, I was intrigued. I took the bait, and so I asked, what event is it that you're talking about? And he said, Christianity rests on the fact if Jesus rose from the dead or not. Well, my response was pretty vicious. I laughed pretty hard, and I'm sure I was less than a nice guy to this guy who actually was telling me some of the most important words that I had ever been told then and since. So I decided that if that is what Christians put their faith and trust in, a resurrected Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, then I was going to spend my time attempting to discredit this silly story that this guy who believed in Jesus told me about. So I got even more focused on my learning and my attempting to find out about this supposed resurrection, and I began with this hypothesis like most of us do. Dead people don't come back from the dead, right? So how and why do these silly Christians think that it is plausible for them to believe that this is possible, probable, and could ever happen? Well, I want to be real with you about what I found out over 20 years ago. I'm going to be really honest, and this is probably going to offend some of you, because I still think this is completely true today. Most Christians don't know why they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They just believe it. And for some, they'll do what they call the religious. They'll say, well, I believe it by faith. The problem with that is that faith is in a biblical sense, not just how it's talked about, but in a biblical sense, isn't a blind belief, but a hopeful trust that means that we behave differently because of what we believe. So I noticed so much of, as I talked to these different Christians, they just told me I had to have faith. I had to just believe I didn't need evidence. I just need to close my eyes and my mind to the facts because as many Christians would misquote, faith is what pleases God. But as Indigo, the great theologian Indigo Montoya said in The Princess Bride, you keep using that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means. But then I started to read more about how some Christians believed they actually had reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so I was intrigued, to say the least, and totally pumped to bring real arguments against said proof. Well, there are facts that Christians believe, and a lot of those Christians are known as apologists. They're theologians, but they look into history, and there are some things that even non-Christian sources will agree upon when it comes to Jesus' supposed resurrection. Not that he rose, but that some of these facts are true, and so I'm going to explain the four that everyone will accept. First, Jesus died by crucifixion. It's kind of a big deal, right? If these silly Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but he never actually died, it's kind of a stupid mute point. But these apologists 
don't have that blind of faith because the death of Jesus is so highly documented. Not just by the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but by non-Christian historians in and around Jesus' lifetime, including Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, as well as the Jewish historical writings of the Jewish Talmud. Also, he was hung on a cross by the Roman Empire. And I want you to think about that, because the Roman Empire don't mess around. They had guards whose main job was to make sure that the crucified were actually dead. Otherwise, they'd be killed for being wrong, so it was in their best interest to make sure that person on the cross was dead. So Jesus died by crucifixion. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. That's just accepted. He actually died. Next, when it comes to this, the simple facts that these Christian apologists and, and society will agree upon, is that the tomb where Jesus was buried, it was found empty. Kind of a big deal. Where he was originally buried, he was no longer in the grave. And both in the gospel account and according to what we read where the Marys are the first ones to find the tomb empty, but also the disciples, according to the Bible, it says the disciples went back to the grave to see if he was there because they're not going to start to say that he had risen from the dead if he's in the grave. So those people who said that they saw him, not, did not see him in the tomb, those disciples started to proclaim that they had seen him, because he, but not just because he wasn't in the tomb. Because the reality is, if someone's not in a tomb, your response isn't going to be, obviously he rose from the dead. Your response is going to be, well, obviously someone took him out. But the irony about the argument that maybe the disciples took him out of the grave was they eventually ended up dying for claiming that he had risen. So if they knew that they took him out of the grave, there's no way they would have died for that belief. Now, I think both of those are large deals. Jesus died, he wasn't in the tomb. Okay. But neither of those are supernatural. There are a ton of natural examples of why those two things, as they happen, do not necessarily add up to a resurrection. Now, there is no other competing burial story with the idea that Jesus would put somewhere else or someone else found where his body was. There weren't any real good theories. There were any real good arguments against the idea that Jesus possibly rose from the dead versus he was just buried somewhere else. So we've got Jesus died. We've got the tomb was found empty. Now we get somewhere with both of those facts with this third fact that makes those first two facts so important when you add them together. Here we go. People, including the disciples and many others, including a dude named Paul, who was an enemy against Christianity, all claimed they saw Jesus alive over many different days in many different places. Now, people said they've seen Elvis alive after he died, right? I don't mean Austin Butler for you young people like the real Elvis, but like they claimed to see Elvis alive after his death since he died in the late 70s. And while I don't believe anyone has attempted to actually exhume Elvis's body from the grave in Graceland, Elvis didn't claim to be the son of God. He didn't claim that salvation could be found in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so those who have claimed to have seen Elvis, here's why I bring it up, made a lot of money when they told their stories to the Inquirer, to the Star, and to Hard Copy. Did I just date myself with Hard Copy? Is anyone? Okay. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But what did those who claimed Jesus was alive after he died in this time period get for claiming that he was alive? Yeah, they got sent to death. 
for creating such an uproar among the Roman Empire and the self-righteous community in Jerusalem that they could not believe that this Jewish carpenter was actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. So you got a dead Jesus who died on a cross. You got an empty tomb that no one could produce a body from. And you have some seriously committed witnesses to the idea that they believed that they saw Jesus alive after he died. Here's the fourth and final fact that everyone agrees upon. Christian apologists believe that their, that their reasoning behind their actual faith for Jesus rising from the dead is because of this. The origin of the Christian faith, not Catholicism, not Jehovah's Witnesses, not Mormonism, not Muslims, the origin of the Protestant Christian faith is a resurrected Jesus. Not a bunch of teachings, like so many other religions that came before Jesus and since. Not a bunch of things one can abstain from in order to work their way to God, but the origin of the Christian religion, ironically, was not a religion at all, but an invitation to a relationship with God Almighty through God's Son, paying the price for mankind's sin by dying on a cross for the sins of many and physically, victoriously, and literally rising from the dead. That was the origin of Christianity not any other man-made assumption or argument, but from 33 AD on, the way which Christianity was originally known as based their belief systems not on just what Jesus said, but specifically on what he did by rising from the dead. And not only was it the origin of the Christian faith, but it was something that Jesus himself said prior to his death would happen and had to happen. So Mike read this. In John chapter 2, here's what it says. You've got John, the disciple whom Jesus loves. He writes his own gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is the fourth gospel. It took us like four years to go through the book of John. And here we are back in John chapter 2. And here's what it says. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging Bitcoin money. So he, made, so, he, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. This doesn't sound like the floofy Easter Jesus that most of us think of, right? He's like in the field with his long flowing hair. No, he's upset. Why? Because they're making a mockery of his father's house. Verse 16, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples, those that were following Jesus, remembered that it is written in the Old Testament in Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Verse 19, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Woo! I mean, contextually, them fighting words. Verse 20, they replied, because they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. 
after he was raised from the dead. John writes this in roughly 88, 90 AD, so many years after this took place. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus called it. It was not accidental. It's not like, oh, well, I guess I'll just die for the sins of everyone. No, this was the plan. Since sin entered into this world, Jesus was meant to die for us. So I'm 19, almost 20, and I'm attempting to disprove all of this stuff about the resurrection. And I'm reading about these arguments, like maybe the disciples stole the body, but I'm thinking, even as an as a antagonistic atheist, I'm thinking, okay, steal the body, sure. But then you wouldn't die for a lie that you knew was untrue, so that's a stupid argument. Perhaps they went to the wrong tomb. Well, personal logic then wouldn't make me just assume that he had risen, oh, he's not there, he's obviously walking around, no! Maybe all of these people at different times in different places just had hallucinations. Well, this wasn't just all at the same time, nor can you share a hallucination. And the entire time I'm trying to disprove this silly, superstitious religion, God was so subtly drawing me towards a relationship. I still remember the moment where it clicked for me intellectually. I'm sitting in a library. Does everyone remember what a library is? And I have a ton of what I called religious literature out on a table. The Koran, the Book of Mormon, the Jehovah's Witnesses translation of the Bible. And I had a Bible, and I'm pretty sure it was the NIV translation. And I read these words, which later on I found out were written by the Apostle Paul, who before he was Paul, he was known as Saul, and he persecuted and had Christians killed for their belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. That same Paul who eventually claimed he ran into Jesus alive after he died, and he wrote these words that ultimately hijacked my eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, this, our faith, it's useless. Wow. Know why that was kind of mind-blowing for me as a 20-year-old antagonistic atheist? Because if I'm attempting to get you to believe in my religion, I'm not telling you how to disprove said religion in my writings unless I'm 100% sure of what I'm saying. You want to know if Christianity is true or not? Look at the resurrection. That's what Paul's saying. Go, look. And here is Paul, who switched teams. He didn't just stop killing Christians. He joined them in the proclamation that Jesus had risen from the dead. And what Paul just implied was that if you were going to focus on one thing regarding the faith in which Christians believe, it's if Jesus rose from the dead or not. It's nothing else. We're hypocrites. We gather on Sundays. Welcome. We're messed up. We lie. We do things wrong but we have a perfect God that we're not trying to be perfect for. He is perfecting us by his grace. And honestly, my mind was so blown after all of this study, after all of this research, because this was not what I expected. The Bible is not written like any other book. It's almost like the Bible is what the Bible says that it is when Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy, great name, in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed, Paul tells Timothy. 
And so between the history that I read about, the awful, awful, awful arguments that those who were not Christians used against Christianity and a bunch of facts that separately did not prove anything and were not supernatural at all added together and it created probably the most airtight argument I have ever had for anything that I wasn't actually a witness of in my own life. And here I was, struggling with the fact that it would require significantly more blind faith to believe that he didn't rise from the dead than to believe that he did. And my beginning to believe that he did was anything but blind faith. And I thought, I had this moment, I'm in the library, I'm like, oh no, am I becoming a Christian? Oh, well, no, not exactly. I mean, obviously, I am now, but you'd hope. (laughs) The reality is, Satan himself knows that Jesus rose from the dead. It terrifies him because he knows that ultimately he's defeated because of this. But just because intellectually I came to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead and that God intervened, and because of what he said about himself, was and is God, it didn't matter eternally until my mind and my heart caught up with one another. So it was June 13th, 2001. How many of you weren't alive then? Come on, be honest. Oh my gosh. It's June 13th, 2001. I'm 20. I am a pompous, egotistical, 20-year-old college student. I'm not saying anything about those of you who are 20 and are in college. I'm just saying that's what I was. And I was dealing with a breakup with a girl that I had originally began to attend church with and for. And even though we had broken up, while I attempted to disprove the silly religion that she believed in, I, for whatever reason, still wanted to go to the church building on Sundays. The church had two services, and I would go to the one that she was not in so I wouldn't run into her. Has anyone ever done this? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. Stop. (laughs) We have one service. (laughs) (laughs) Then, on that fateful day, June 13th, 2001, sitting towards the back of the worship center. Uh, Mark, Fredericks, raise your hand. Sitting over there in this other church that I was at that's now condos, okay? It was in Sunnyvale. While sitting in that church service, the worship team led a song called Shout to the Lord. Now, if hard copy did not date me, Shout to the Lord just did. And a worship pastor named Avery was playing the guitar, and he was singing it. And he led with this beautiful 19-year-old blonde named Erin, who I eventually ended up marrying, and she's currently with a bunch of my kids hanging out with your kids on the playground. And while they sang the song, I felt the weirdest feeling that honestly I can't quantify. I can only tell you what it felt like. I felt warm. I felt at peace. I felt like God put his arm around me. Now, I'm not saying he put his arm around me, even though I'm pretty sure God's hella swole, right? (laughs) I'm just saying how it felt. I got this impression, not an audible voice, not Morgan Freeman doing a narration over my life. 
I felt this impression that God in this moment, my heavenly father that I had refused to acknowledge, refused to believe in, said to me, I've got you. I'm with you. You're not alone. You are loved, Tim. And your past does not define who you are. I do. Your past does not make you unable to come to me, Tim, because I came to you. And God did come to me. He, 2,000 years before I was born to Mike and Alona Riley in 1980, lived a perfect life and while sinless died a sinner's death. And while he was dead, he through the power of the Holy Spirit was raised to life physically, victoriously, and literally so that you and I and anyone else who could believe in him and what he has done would not perish but have eternal life. And for me, that is what this day, Easter, symbolizes. That is what this day is all about. That is why Christians get so excited and applaud sometimes. When we sing songs of Jesus rising from the dead, not just because it happened in the past, because, but because of what it means for each person who believes in the power of the resurrection for the present and the future. First time anyone ever told me about Jesus, I was six years old, and my dad, remember, antagonistic agnostic. But my dad and I are driving on the 210 freeway. Anyone in Southern California? The 210. And as we're driving on the 210 to go to Fedco, huh? Yeah, I, I obviously haven't left the 80s. As we're driving on the 210 to go to Fedco, it's like Costco, but better. Uh, yeah, I said it. <laughs> they had more toys. When we were driving my dad's 1963 Comet convertible, and as we were driving there, I saw a cross on the top of a hill. Kind of like that, but just one, and it was lit up. And I saw this cross, and I, you know, I'm a six-year-old, so what do six-year-olds do? Ask every possible question ever, right? Sarah, you know what I'm talking about. And, and I'm, I say to my father, I say, Dad, what's, what's that T on top of the mountain? Is it for Tim? <laughs> and he goes, uh, no, that's a cross. I said, what's cross? And he said, well, uh, Christians believe that that's what Jesus died on. What are Christians? Well, Christians are people that follow Jesus. Who's Jesus? I mean, this is literally what I was like. So be careful, Delwoods. Your son's going to be a pastor one day. <laughs> and so, so here I am asking these questions, and my dad's kind of telling me, well, this is what Christians believe, this is what Christians believe, this is what Christians believe. And I said, what do you mean he died on the cross? Well, Christians believe he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. What are sins? Well, sins are when you do something wrong. Well, uh, so... Uh, I don't have to just be a good boy. I didn't say that. That's, that's what my dad said to me. He said, but the Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive the sins of people. And I said, oh, that's really cool. Can I meet him? And my dad said, no, you can't meet him. And my dad said that because he didn't believe. My dad said that because he didn't believe in the resurrection. My dad said that because all of the story didn't really matter to him very much. But I'm here to tell you in 2023, you can meet him. You can know him. You can have a relationship with him, but you gotta stop 
trying to be your own God. So fast forward 30, almost 30 years. I'm sharing with my father about Christ in his living room in Arizona two years before he died. I've got Reagan, who is currently on the, uh, currently hanging out with the other kids, and she's 16. She was just in a musical. She's about to drive. I cannot believe I have a 16-year-old. <sighs> and here she is, playing in my dad's living room in Arizona, and I'm telling my dad, we're having a conversation about faith, and I'm explaining to him about the resurrection of Jesus. And I remember my dad just saying, Tim, I don't want to believe. And I realized, yeah, it's not that my dad couldn't believe, it's that he didn't want to. And I hope today for each of us who are in attendance, we wouldn't take my word for it. But we'd be willing to look into the claims of Christ. Look into who he said that he is. Look at how important he says the resurrection is even before it happened And if we need more proof, we'd actually pursue it rather than making excuses about why we can't believe. It's not that you can't, church. It's possibly that you don't want to. And God offers, he invites, he draws, he illuminates, he makes known, he gifts us the opportunity to have faith, to trust him. We just need to stop trying to be our own God. And allow God to overrule us because he is worthy, he is good, and he offers living hope that each of us can find our identity in. And that living hope is Jesus Christ, who is as alive today as he was on the third day when he came out of the tomb. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Oh, do I thank you for a testimony that you've allowed me to go through that I get to share every once in a while. And Lord, my testimony and even reading your words from the Bible mean nothing without your spirit doing a work. And so as we, as we sing songs, as we do what many call worship in this sense, God, I pray as we sing these songs, as we hear these lyrics, as maybe we repeat them and sing them, at least for me, off key, God, that, that you'd stir something in us. God, I pray for the people that are in attendance or online, God, that you'd stir something in them to want more of you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.